You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season on Working, we're taking a trip to Baltimore to chat with some of its residents about the various ways they make a living there. We're hoping to learn a little about the ways that Baltimore shapes their work and the ways they're shaping Baltimore by working. So in Baltimore, more than 12,000 families are served by the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and more than 3,000 city landlords participate, making their, their properties available to those with vouchers. For this episode, we spoke to Damon Walker, who acts as a sort of middleman between property investors and Baltimore residents who hold Section 8 vouchers. Walker talks to us about making sure that properties are up to snuff, up to his standards, and up to code. He also discusses some of the effort that goes into building relationships with both owners and the tenants who he places in their properties, how he checks out a property, uh, and he also shares some thoughts uh, about the ways that Baltimore's real estate market has changed over the years. Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Walker talks about taking care of his own home. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. Start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Damon Walker, and I'm a concierge for investors. What what kind of investors? Real estate investors. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, whatever needs an investor has, you know, I pretty much try to fit the bill. If it's, um, he wants me to figure out, you know, the best place to buy a property um, or, you know, um, how much he thinks he should get for the rent or if he needs an eviction, suggesting different contractors like plumbers, electricians. So it's about um, refurbishing homes and buildings and things like this? Yeah, so the investors, you know, Baltimore has a a litany of abandoned properties. So, you know, it's a kind of a haven for investors. So they buy cheap houses and, and, you know, try to get you know, a good amount of rent. So I specialize in subsidies. And so uh, that's one reason investors like to deal with me because with subsidies, you know, they get a guaranteed check from the uh, government first of the month, you know, direct deposit. So it takes a lot of headache out of wondering if you're going to get paid uh, for, uh, you, you know, your rent every month. So you're working on property management issues, is that fair to say? Yeah, property management overall, but I specialize with the um, subsidy it makes it more attractive to deal with me because I have a, a, a niche of uh, tenants which, you know, are going to pay rent every month. Yeah. Who, who are these tenants? Who are, who are the people you're working with? Okay, well, uh, most of them come from uh, what's known as the Section 8 program. Can you explain briefly, just for our listeners, how Section 8 works? Okay. So Section 8 works like, okay, a person where they're injured, they're a veteran, they're homeless, and they go through some social organization where they dispense these vouchers. And so uh, when they dispense the voucher, uh, the person, they have to look for a house within a certain parameter of, of cost. So if it's like a one-bedroom for Baltimore City, you can't go over $1,000. But according to, you know, you got Baltimore County, you got Anne Arundel County, you got different counties, you got all over the country, you know. Every region has its own allotment of how much they'll pay for a house. And so uh, when you understand that, you can let an investor know what he should expect to get for his house. And then you try to pair him with a voucher that will pay that amount Mm -hmm. for the house. Then there's a process for the inspector coming out. You know, every jurisdiction is different. You know, some places they just walk, come in and, okay, you pass. Other places they got a microscope looking at everything and they want you to fix. I mean, they, they just have all type of things they want you to do. Bend over backwards to do things. But... You know, you kind of get used to what, what goes on. And so that's what my job is, to make sure that I know each 
parameter and guideline of each different jurisdiction. So when the person puts that voucher on it, the inspection passes, then they start to issue a monthly rent to the investor. Now, every tenant has a different portion depending on their income. So if they have no income or very low income, they usually have no rent. You know, so the full amount is paid by the government. And, uh, and you have people who pay less amounts according to their income. And so basically, you know, as, as long as uh, once a year the inspector comes in and the house passes inspection, you, they keep getting their check direct deposit. Uh, and then, but if, if something happens where uh, there's a discrepancy with the tenant and they say, hey, things are wrong with the house, the inspector comes out and they say, well, okay, you're, you're, these things are, are not, you don't have smoke detectors or uh, there's a hole in the wall and you need to fix it. They'll, if you don't fix it within a certain time, they'll stop the investor from getting paid. And so that's kind of how they weed out, you know, if you're a bad landlord because you're not, you know, fixing things. But it still, it still happens, you know. Um, so basically, it's just a situation where the government pays the rent for people who, who need a little help, you know, be it, you know, physical or uh, financially. When I started, uh, what I noticed was people, uh, a lot of them, the landlords were not giving people very good properties. Mm -hmm. You know, things were dilapidated, uh, uh, you know, rodent infested. It was just the bottom of the barrel type of product. And so I felt like if these people had good money and they were going to get paid probably above market rent uh, because the government has a higher pay standard in the area in most cases. So I'll say, well, if, you're, if, if they're getting a, a great rate from these tenants, they need to get a great product. And so what I started to do was target, uh, with, with, I guess it was the crash, uh, like the 2008 crash kind of had a lot of investors that were planning on selling houses, had to wind up holding them. And so to get best value for their dollar, uh, going the Section 8 route was mm. what I would suggest. And, you know, I, I did it for a few of my investor friends that just I knew personally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it, I just noticed it was a market and I just started to take advantage of it. At one time, people didn't want Section 8 tenants at all, you know, and it was like it was just a pariah. But because of the, the uh, market, you know, going down, you know, people had to kind of have some different alternatives and people saw it as a viable source of income. So you're trying to work between the investors, the, the property owners, and, and the tenants and make sure that these Section 8 houses are actually, uh, these, these uh, situations are, are pleasant to live in? That yes. They're, they're actually they nice places. Great houses. I mean, they can have, you know, granite countertops. They can stainless steel appliances, uh, finished basements, air conditioning, you know, all the modern amenities that you should expect in a nice home when you're paying, you know, getting paid top dollar. And, you know, it was a lot of what they call slumlords and, you know, a lot of problems I was seeing. So I, I felt like if it was, you know, I, I like to do things that are practical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, finding somebody a house is, you know, as practical as it gets. You know, everybody needs a roof over their head. And, uh, and I knew that it was, a, it was a lot of people, a lot of investors that were hemorrhaging, I mean, hemorrhaging cash and not, you know, paying their rent, getting their mortgages paid. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of went all together. It was uh, pretty simple. Yeah. And so also I deal with nonprofit organizations. And that's really where you, you find in different situations. Maybe it's a battered mom. Or, this is how you help find tenants? Yeah, this is where, you know, you get a lot of, you know, you get these case, uh, these social workers, they have caseloads, and they issue vouchers. And so we go in and talk to them, let them know what we have, trying to build a relationship mm -hmm. to make sure that they trust us and know that we're going to get their person a great place to stay. So you're working between investors, tenants, sometimes nonprofit, 
Sometimes it sounds like the, the government, city government, state government. Yeah, it could be like the mayor's office is okay. definitely a, a, a big place that does it a lot. So how do you get paid? Well, with the investors. Okay. You know, at the end of the day, after people move in, they sign a lease and, you know, everything's done. You know, when the job's done, like everybody mm -hmm. else, you get paid, you know. Right. It's a... So that's something you work out with them in yeah. advance uh, when they first start working on a property? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, everything's negotiable. So so let's talk through the process. Like, how does it begin? Does, does someone, does an investor come to you and say, like, Sometimes. hey, I, I have this property or I want to find a property? Yeah, What's a lot of investors, uh, well, first I put out an ad. Um, you know, I may put ads up on the internet, Craigslist, and, you know, all the different uh, places, you know, people looking for houses. And then I also have, you know, flyers, uh, you know, small, like, postcards. But then... These ads and flyers, are they targeting the investors at this point? Well, they're two-sided. Okay. You know, so they're, they're, I, I always target both at the same time, you know, so it's just a postcard or a flyer. And, uh, you know, one side may talk about property management or listing all the things that I do. And the other side, it'll, it'll be, you know, talking about, you know, different properties that we may have available. Mm. And uh, I just work. So, you know, I put my ad up. I put one side. I put a stack of cards facing up. And I put a stack of cards <laughs> facing down. And, you know. People, you know, one way or another, or somebody gives me a call, I have an answer machine, you know, like uh -huh. anybody else. And, you know, I, 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 I check the calls in and see who I need to talk to. So an investor comes to you, what do they, what, how does that conversation begin? So basically someone calls, they say, hey, I have this property. I ask the address. Once I get the address, I get an idea of how much we're probably going to get for the property. You know, once I know the bedroom size, uh, you know, the location. And so uh, we, we talk about that and I tell them what his expectation should be. Uh, At this I, point, have they already qualified to, to list the housing under Section 8? Well, I, I usually, like, depending on who referred them or how I got the person or say I'll send them, you got pictures of the property uh, or I'll just go meet them the next day or I'll send somebody to, uh, to meet them. And so, you know, our people, we understand, like, okay, these are the things we look for as far as the chipping paint, if it's, if it's um, you know, any type of, like, cracks in the walkway or... Mm. You know, anything we see that is abnormal that we don't know to get, get a citation from uh, Section 8 or, you know, from a uh, housing inspector. So, you know, we always tell them exactly, you know, if this house is, you know, suitable for, for a subsidy. And if it's not, then we'll say we need to use it for a cash property and, you know, and, and then go just a different route. Now, we also do, you know, higher end places as well. But that's a little easier just because, you know, when you're advertising something that's kind of expensive, usually get people to actually have money <laughs> who, uh, who actually, you know, at call you, so. But these other places, you're, are you working with them from the beginning to help, I mean, you've got to bring the place up to code, but are you also working to bring it? Some people, uh, so, so say if it's a rookie investor, like, okay, this is your first house, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the place and I'll say, okay, if you really want to make this house marketable, put some wood floors in, take the carpet out, uh, maybe update the vanity over here, put some paint on the wall, and then boom, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's up to standard. You know, and I can say, I can rent this now. And, uh, but then, you know, you got some of the guys who just, boom, they know. It's just, just clockwork. They understand. They can just punch it out and, hey, I got another one, I got another one, I got another one. And we just kind of work kind of, you know, step by step like that. You know, once they're finished, I just try to move people in. Then you get, like, some weird, crazy stuff happens where, uh, you know, maybe an investor buys a house next to an abandoned house mm. and then there's all type of problems with that house and the inspectors want to, you know, say, you know, we can't do that. So we got to figure out how to fix this house next door or make it look good, clean it up. You know what I mean? So before the inspector gets there, they won't really notice it as much. 
And we've done stuff to where we, uh, you know, had to put vinyl over a whole house, mm. you know, just so, mm-hmm. just so you couldn't see how, you the know, adjacent house. Yeah, the house right next to it, just so that it, uh, you know, wouldn't look mm. as 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 bad, you know, as it as it um as it could have had. You know, mm. our houses are always, you know, I wouldn't ever rent a house that I wouldn't live in. I wouldn't even show a house that I wouldn't live in, you know. And you know, some guys they would say, "Hey, check my house out." You walk in, it's flies, it's all type of crazy. Like I, I just, I can't. Like, who am I going to rent this to? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I mean, even if it's a great neighborhood and you got like, and it's just infested with roaches or something, I just don't feel comfortable putting a family mm-hmm. into that environment, knowing that I wouldn't live there. So, um, you know, I didn't want to sound like we do we, we, sure. we, no, we no, smudge no, corners or anything, but yeah. Um, but I love doing what I do. You know, it really helps people. You know, and I've I've probably, you know, made so many friends that you know I I, I never would have expected. You know. You're listening to Damon Walker. After this brief break, he talks about checking out properties and dealing with soured business relationships. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So you've been doing this since 2008, it sounds well, like. Well, not 2008, 2010. Okay. I really started doing it, uh, but I, I saw that was the kind of fallout that was taking place. Did you have a background in real estate and property management before that? No, one of my good friends, um, now he's a good friend, he's a, um, he's a, it's like a millionaire. He's, a, he's you know, he's a, one of my family members, partner in business. And, you know, I noticed things were falling through. You know, because the guy, he was kind of a, a out-of-towner, you know, the, the rich guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't really, you know, he couldn't really fill the places. He was having tough times as far as people not paying rent, you know, evictions left and right. And so I said, well, you know, do this, do the subsidies. And, boom, we filled up every, we filled up everything. And it just became kind of like second nature to me after that. And How many investors do you work with now? It could be, I don't even count them because it kind of moves Very around. Yeah. yeah, but it could be anywhere from a dozen to two dozen, mm-hmm. you know, pretty easy. You know, it's all about who's consistent, you know, who's, you know, active, who's actually, who gets it done, you know, because mm-hmm. you can waste your time with a lot of people. You know, you, I've had people, oh, man, you know, rip me off or even people who. Investors or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm saying in the sense that you help them out, you know, you take sure. care of your whole end and, oh, man, you know, they just. It's just, uh, you just realize some people are in business just to, they're not in business to make money. They're in business to be greedy. You know, that's not necessarily the same thing, you know? Like, people who make money, they take, they make sure everybody's, everything's okay, you know, because that's how they keep it working. You know, when people are greedy, you know, they just want it all and and lose it. I mean, they usually lose it, it seems to me, but. If someone does screw you over, what do you do? Do you just walk away? I mean, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not a very legacious person, and it's like, okay, if it's, I'm gonna sue somebody for fifteen hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, it's gonna waste my time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I could just say, hey, forget about that guy, and he's gonna call me anyway because nobody, nobody 
like I really kind of made this this kind of business, you know, a long time ago. Like uh, it was a case where um, you know I saw a need, and I would stand out in front of the housing department every day, rain, snow, sleet, 100 degrees. I would stand there and ask people, "Are you looking for a house?" And I've, you know, and people saw me doing it, and I asked people, "Hey, you know, can I get a job? Can you help me?" And I saw other, you know, investors or people who kind of did what I did, like property management people, and I was telling them, like, "Work with me, and you know, we can do something." And you know, they was like, "Oh, you forget about you know, like you're gonna slow us down. You're nobody." And um, so I just started cold calling people, and especially foreigners for some reason. Like most of my clients are Chinese, like Chinese people from China. You know, people from Egypt, people from Turkey, um, you know, people from, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, you know, and they're all literally from these places, you know, and I don't know exactly, you know, they never, ever say anything like, are you in a wheelchair or you can't do it or whatever the case. They just say, hey, buddy, get it done. Mm -hmm. And they say, what's your bank account number? And, you know, <laughs> and they give you the money. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, pretty much. They just want the job done and I make it easy for them. You know, I like to work with guys, you know, with flip-flops or construction boots, you know, guys in suits. I'm like, I don't like those guys, you know, because yeah. they, they look too, you know, they, they like current artists. Well, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so we haven't talked about this much, but you are in a wheelchair. Does that complicate the kind of work that you do at all? Well, yeah, it, it, it okay. It makes it like, I feel like if I could walk, you know, I probably wouldn't need anybody and I could just like just run through them and mm -hmm. do all type of stuff. But having to be in a wheelchair makes me have to be like more cerebral and, and tactical and mm -hmm. plot stuff out. And so I implore young ladies to help me out. So I say, hey, you know, we can work together. You guys open the doors. And especially, you know, investors like pretty young ladies. And I say, hey, talk to this guy. You know, we need to get this done. He needs this picked up. You know, they like that. I'm like, I'm going to send this young lady or that. And, you know, and, and they may, people may think that, you know, they work for me or something, but we are all partners. Yeah. You know, I have a friend, her name's Tori. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she really believed in me. You know, I asked her to help me. Uh, and she was like, all right, I'm going to do it with you. And, you know, we have a great time. You know, mm -hmm. she's a beautiful girl. So I was like, hey, Tori, go see that guy real quick. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, yes, we did it, you know. But when you're, like, going through a construction site or something like mm -hmm. this, uh, is, yeah, is the chair I mean, ever an issue there? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, man, I've been in all type of stuff. I didn't just, I just jump up. You know, I, I can buy a new pair of shoes. You know, so I just slide, like you saw me slide through over there, yeah, yeah. go up under there. I just had to do it because that's what you need to do to get stuff done. And yeah. so if I got to jump up a flight of steps to open a door, or if I need to crawl on my stomach to take pictures, that's what it took to build this business. And that's what it took for people to believe in me, trust me, because no matter what they thought of me, I got the job done. Yeah. So that commitment. Yeah. So can you walk us through like a, a typical day? When do you usually get started in the morning? All right, a typical day is, uh, I'd really like to say, all right, I'm going to get out the house by 9.30, but uh -huh. I get out by 10.30. All right. You know, so I kind of lounge a little bit, um, but, you know, I just got to get myself together. I just got to eat. And um, probably the hottest days are like uh, what they call walk-in days and where the people, like, it's, it's certain days at the housing department where people can come in and, 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 and deal with their issues as far as these vouchers hmm. and so what i do is stand outside and the people come i know they're coming so maybe somebody needs to move or somebody's having a problem with their landlord or mm -hmm. you know or, or whatever the case is 
I'll just say, hey, here's my card. You know, I'll talk to them, ask them their name, try to build a little relationship, even if it's just for 10 seconds. And those people will call me back a year later, two years later. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I do that on Wednesdays and, and, and uh, Fridays. And, um, you know, like today, I was just there, you know, just mingling, talking to people, saying hello, you know. And maybe some days, you know, nobody wanted a house today. But last week, I was three people. At one time, hey, I need a house. Okay, jump in the car. I need a house. All right, you wait. I'll meet you later. And bam, you know, and we, we get them signed up and, you know, on to the next one. So that's your morning on a, on a day like this? Yeah, that was, that was the morning. Yeah, so usually I'm, I'm probably done by like one. And I like to eat, so uh, either I'm going to try to cook something or mm -hmm. I go to some restaurant or something. Yeah. And, uh, and Long lunch? Yeah, pretty long lunch. <laughs> some nice. wine and stuff. Nice. But... Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking of what to do next. And, mm -hmm. and, and really, it's all about my phone. My phone rings. It's either a, a, a tenant, hey, I need a house. Or it's an investor, I have a house. Mm -hmm. And so we just work those issues out. Now, stuff in between, like I say, the evictions to where maybe, like after I leave here, I have to go to the um, state building to pick up some documents for an investor. Uh, you know, it's, it's a you know small processing type fee or whatever, but it's no big deal, you know, filing things at the courthouse. Uh, so it just, every day is different, but Wednesdays and Fridays mm. are the days I try to go out and really uh, get in touch with the people. Yeah. Uh, what about the, I mean, how much time do you spend on site? How much time do you spend actually looking at properties? Now, I used to look at properties a whole lot, but nowadays I really don't have to. I just send one of the young ladies and they they know everything, you know, because we have on site like we have contractors, you know, at our place, and so she pretty much knows the the, the deal. So I don't have to really go to places, and so she'll she'll send me pictures or whatever, and she'll say, look, the place was trash. And sometimes I do show up at places, mm -hmm. like some place she's like, man, I'm not going to see that place. It's in a terrible neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But then I'll say, let me go see it myself, and mm -hmm. if I got to jump up the steps or I got to get the investor like take the wheelchair and I would climb up the steps and. We get inside mm -hmm. and we look at it, and yeah, that just happened with this. Um, it's a bad neighborhood, but it's a great place. It's a uh, huge, it's a huge building. Has um, Section Eight ready places, um, large rooms, uh, AC, and it's um, gas and electric, water, all utilities included, mm -hmm. and people could use that. You know what I mean? People like that 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 really only make maybe seven hundred bucks a month or something. You know, they could. You know, they need that type of thing. And so, you know, helping that guy out, uh, you know, helped a lot of people out, mm -hmm. you know. And I like to see when, you know, and a lot of these guys are young. You know what I mean? You the see, investors. Yeah, right. you know, right. some of them are. I mean, if they're not young as far as age, they're young as far as experience, you know. Because, you know, the guys who are good, I don't have to go to their stuff. They're like, Damon, it's ready, you know. This is, this is what I want for it. That's it. Find the people. Yeah, it's yeah. just roll it out. Boom. I already know his product. It's boom. Because they the people that, that I stick with mm -hmm. are the people who make the great product because, you know, those are those. You don't want anybody talking about you. You know, I have a superlative reputation. You know, you mm -hmm. can ask anybody, um, you know, who I, you know, about what I do. And, and they'll, they'll say, hey, he loves helping the people. He always gets it done. Now, I had a little crazy experience a couple of weeks ago where an investor called me, she said, hey, Damon, I have these places. You know, somebody I worked with a lot of times before, and um, she was like, I need these places rented. She's like a debonair lady. You know, she drives a little BMW. And 
she has a lot of places in the hood, you know, close to where I live, you know. So, and um, she gives me the lockbox, and I'm like, okay, I got some appointments on Monday, but the place gets robbed over the weekend. Oh, shit. So she tells me this Monday morning. So I'm like, okay, she gives me a new lockbox. Now, this was a couple of weeks ago, and it's about to snow. So my partner, she lives in, like, Laurel, so she wasn't even up here yet, and I was at the supermarket trying to get some food. And we were, I, I was the only, they, we were the only two people that had the code, at least as far as I knew, besides the investor. And the place gets robbed again <laughs> before she gets there with the appointment for Monday. So it got robbed over the weekend. They, they fixed everything back, put whatever was going on, and it gets robbed again before we even get there, before my, my, you know, my agent lady gets there. And, and they're saying I did it. And I'm like, what do I need a wash machine in the refrigerator for? It's like a hundred bucks a piece, man. I was like, that's stuff that yeah. drug addicts do, you know. And so we kind of had a, we had it out, and and she was like, his her maintenance man was there, and she was like, only me, you, and him had the code. And I'm like, so why is it me? And she's like, well, I've known him for three years. And I'm like, well, you know me for five, <laughs> you know. So how is it that why am I doing this? And so. He said that, oh, I saw a woman going in the house, but I thought that was your agent. I was like, well, if you knew the place just got robbed and you saw somebody going in the house, why wouldn't you say, hey, I'm the maintenance man. How you doing? What's going on? The place just got robbed. I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. I was like, yo, you did it. You the one that stole the stuff. It wasn't me. And I told her that, and I walked away, and I let everybody know. I put a group message of all the agencies, all you know, all the uh, the guys I know that, that, that do what I do. Uh, and I let them know, like, hey, you know, this lady's crazy. Don't mess with her. Like, she's got some stuff going on. And, I mean, that's just, that's, that's just like a typical day. But uh, what I was saying before, and I don't know if this stuff is going to be all jumbled up, but um, when I started this, nobody was out there. And people saw me be successful, the ones that turned me down, the ones that was like, man, you know, you're going to slow us down. And they saw me doing numbers, and they're like, yeah, you know, we can partner up. Like, well, I need half of you and I got 100% of me now, man. Like, <laughs> you know, forget about you guys. We but, probably, but, you do have your, you, but you do have your partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these these are the guys that, that turned me down. They didn't see anything in me before, mm. you know. So it's like, I'm not going to deal with those guys. And and I, I and it's healthy for competition, too. I love it when I like, like, yeah, I made sure those guys didn't get a house or... <laughs> Or I got the house before they got it, you uh -huh. know, or whatever the case was. You're listening to Damon Walker. In a moment, he talks about evictions and about the changing dynamics of Baltimore's real estate market. So, yeah, so you, we talked a little bit about uh, the relationships you build with with investors, property owners, people that you're uh, uh, you're helping out there. Um, but what about the tenants that you work with? Do you have long-term relationships with some oh, of these people? All of them, really. I mean, like, I mean, in a sense that maybe I don't remember everybody's name, you sure. know what I'm saying? But I treat everybody like I want to be treated. I treat everybody like a friend, you know what I mean? And when you're dealing with so many people, sometimes, you know, it can be confusion of faces and names and all. But at the end of the day, the relationship is built because they know I care. You know, and and so, yeah. But but long term, yeah. I see some families grow up. I see people come and say, "Hey, Mr. Damon, how you doing?" They was little kids, and now they're grown, and or you know, 
you know, kids grow up a lot in five years. You know, you see somebody this tall and they're like that tall, and you're like, wow, you know. You see people get their lives together. You see, you know, uh, family stabilize. You see people go from being, you know, uh, uh, maybe a single mom that's kind of, you know, shaky to now they, because they had a stable home, they got a job, career, you know, they finished school or whatever the case may have been. How does that feel to see people's lives change like that? It's amazing. Like, I guess I, I realized it one day when um, this lady, she was moving from the projects from right around here. She was moving to a place in a place called Sedonia in Baltimore. It's a little nice neighborhood, a little grassy and stuff. And she was like, she was complaining, like, I want window treatments and all this and that. And I'm like, man, she just moved from the projects. But I realized, like, it's great just to help people go from one thing to the next level like and and maybe she didn't even realize it at the time and i think some people don't and honestly because there are people very demanding you know what i mean but i try to aim to please but yeah at the end of the day that's what i'm there for i want the people to be happy and mm. so you know i know they're gonna fuss you know they want the world but uh i'll give them as close to it this is my motto when i tell them i say look looking for a house is like looking for a relationship you want the guy to be tall dark and handsome maybe he's going to be tall, dark, and ugly, or not to say that, or maybe it's going to be like just handsome and short or something, you know, but you can't get it all, but you try to get as much as you can, you know, and, uh, and people are usually satisfied. When you're first meeting a possible tenant, do you have to do much evaluation of them? Well, Is there anything you have to check on? Yes. Uh, all right. You, 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 you go down, you have basic questions, you know, and then you also look at people, you know, like, are these people of sound mind and body, you know what I'm saying? You look at somebody like, not to say that you judge people by their appearance, but if somebody's very unruly, disruptive, disrespectful, I'm not gonna work with them. Mm. And that, if they don't respect me, they don't respect them themselves, they're not gonna respect the house. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not gonna deal with those people. So I'll easily just kind of move a person to the side and just, just go on to the next person. Now after that, it's kind of up to the criteria. And I know it's kind of illegal, uh, for if you're a um, real estate investor, I mean, a real estate agent, and I'm not a real estate agent, but if you're a real estate agent, you can't kind of discriminate on people according to age and all this and that. So with investors, they'll tell me like, hey, I want a little old lady for this house. You know, I don't want young people or I don't, you know, I need a guy for this place, an older man or something. And so I you know when I see a person, I see a house. You know, like, oh, that's a great house for this little old lady. Or, all right, I got this big old crazy house down here in the hood, but it's huge, and this lady with five kids needed, you know? Or, you know, I got this nice condo over here, but it's small, but maybe a nice older guy, I like that, you know, and just be cool over here, you know? So I just kind of match the people in the houses together, you know, according to the demographic, what they're looking for. So I kind of go down on a list and ask them what they want. And then I ask them, where do you live at now? And that gives me kind of an idea of, you know, what's their expectations, you know? Like, if you're coming from something that's, that's really hard mm -hmm. and you want something that's, like, amazing, you know, like, like, so, like, all right, for instance, now, I don't know this lady's situation. She's from Cleveland. I don't know. She, she'll probably get mad at me if she ever hears this. But um, she's moving from out of town to Baltimore. And she was like, I need to live in a nice neighborhood. And I'm like, look, I'm going to take you to the nicest neighborhood I can take you to. 21239, beautiful neighborhood, Chickapin Parkway, grassy knoll and little streams and 
you know, it's ivory on the house and picket white picket fences. Beautiful place. And she's like, well, you know, I don't make much money. And I, she, she's basically saying she wants the house with no security deposit and she wants all this stuff. And I'm like, well, you have to actually pay your security deposit. You're going to have a certain amount of money you have to pay for your monthly. And you're going to have to be prepared. You know, you're going to have to uh, mow the lawn. You know, you're going to have to, you know, have certain things that needs to be taken care of. And some people don't think about, you know, what it takes to actually maintain a nice house. You know, they just think, hey, you just come in and kick back and wow, it's great. But you have to do a lot of things to be uh, a responsible home. Even if you're not an owner, you got to be a responsible renter. And, you know, I got to be make sure that a person can grasp that if they're going to move in a neighborhood where they have, you know, they're going to call on you if you're making too much noise or if your trash cans flipped upside down. You know, those things are fines for a lot of these investors that they have to pay. What's it like to sometimes have to tell people that they can't get what they want, though? I mean, at first... It probably made my heart like palpitate and be like, oh, but then you realize it's business mm. and and you understand that business is all about a fair exchange. And if I'm giving you something you and also I look at that as well as if you're not willing to do something to get what you want, then you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, because everybody to get something, you got to give something. You know, and it has to be a fair exchange. Now, in some cases where, you know, I make it real easy, like this is no security deposit or whatever, but those are usually neighborhoods that aren't as sought after, you know. But if you want the neighborhood with the with the school and this and that, you know, that's something that, you know, everybody's fighting over. So at least show that you really want it and put your best foot forward. We've talked a lot about the the front side, help, helping make sure that a property is up to your standards, helping develop relationships with possible tenants, help them find them a place. But you also said that sometimes you're involved with evictions. What's that like? What does that involve? Oh, man. So I guess like evictions, you feel like a bad guy for a second, but then you realize too, like, all right, you know, there's there's a victim too, the investor, you know, who's losing money and not getting this rent every month. And, you know, he has a mortgage, too. He has a family and everything he needs to feed. So you can't get too caught up in what's happening. You just got to understand it's something that needs to be done. And then, oh, man, it's crazy when you go to these places and, you know, the place is trashed and they left a pit bull in the basement or, um, you know, it's just, just you know, they don't want to leave or, uh, you know, the police actually have to tell them to go. Um, you know, it's just weird. You know, I just don't, I, sometimes I feel like they're going to get mad at me, you know. It'd like rush my car or something, but <laughs> no, it's never happened at all. And even when I have to like serve people, you know, and I gotta say, hey, buddy, here's this summons, you know what I mean? And it could be some thugs or whatever, but hey, you know, I guess they respect it. I mean, I just walk up and give it to them. They know that you're just doing your job? I mean, pretty much. I mean, nobody ever got mad so far. Now, I have a situation, oh man, that I've been, that just popped up a few days ago where one of the tenants passed away. And she was a Section 8 tenant. And um, so they informed us they stopped payment effective, you know, the day they called us. And her family still lives there. Mm-hmm. Boyfriend, mm-hmm. the kids and all. And um, and so I got to put them out the house. Now, since they're not on the lease, that's a possibility I can do it without having to go to court. But that's going to involve the police. You know, in which anytime you get that type of, you know, high anxiety, 
type of thing going on is just it's just not cool. But um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. Like you know, you just got to do it. And, you know, it could be forced kids, but, you know, everybody has to get a place to live. Yeah. Um, are you a Baltimore native? Yep, born and raised. So do you feel like your work is specific to Baltimore? Does it fit into the city and its, I its think ecosystem? It, I think it fits a lot of cities, like like Baltimore, like the inner city, like it's under underinvested in or underdeveloped. You know, mm-hmm. Baltimore's finally catching up with development. You know, you see the dilapidation. And cities where... You know, people are um, like it's a transition. You know, you see, you know, I was in Baltimore when it was said to be um, one of the largest black populations in the country, mm. where it was one million black people, uh, and and but then that was just one million black people alone. But then the whole population dipped under five hundred thousand. You know, that's kind of amazing to see. That's like an anorexic city. You know, mm. it went from being you know big to small, and the I, the Section Eight part is. I guess like the revitalization, it's like the early aspects of the gentrification to where, you know, it's like you got a mouth of missing teeth and you get them fixed like kind of one by one till you got a whole pretty row. And so the investors come in and maybe fix one or two houses in the block. And as long as they're getting revenue, one or two more houses are going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you know, a whole neighborhood is vitalized. And a pretty good example of that is Reservoir Hill. You know, if you look at that now to where... uh a neighborhood here in Baltimore? Yeah, and it's... Uh, if you look at Bolton Hill, Bolton Hill is like affluent, and Reservoir Hills across the street. Now, what stood in front of it was like a projects and, you know, a certain type of people lived there. Um, but the investors, like, so Reservoir Hill kind of got strangled. They have these huge houses, and areas they're abandoned. You know, they look like mansions. And, um, but now... People were coming in. People have been years for years, maybe turning them into apartments, uh, maybe still leaving them as houses. And you know, so investors one by one kept fixing these places up until now uh, the university, uh, one of the universities, bought the projects, knocked it down, and they're about to do a whole new development right there. And so, you know, that wouldn't been possible if Section Eight wasn't pumping money into that community. Because I know whole buildings that I was. You know, I would put five, six different people in one block, you know, and, and that's their lifeblood is uh, those subsidies. Do you feel like you're making the city a better place? Oh, yeah. I've, I've definitely seen, you know, like a, a street where it was one house with livable and, and then now it's a whole viable, you know, neighborhood. And that's only been in, you know, a short five year span. So, you know, and, and I, you know, things kind of slowed up a little bit. But I definitely seen it like with the overflow from uh, DC and the whole 95, 295 corridor. You know, a lot of people want the urban living, but they can't afford DC. Mm-hmm. And so they, they they just come over here. And, uh, you know, and, and as the West Side gets developed more and they connect uh, the train, the new train from DC to Baltimore, the new train station, I think it's going to really explode. You talked about this as the early stages of gentrification do you have any concern that the kind of work you do might eventually price out the kind of people you work with i know it does i know it does because you know i could talk to an investor he's like look man i want 1200 for cash or subsidy because if i can get a subsidy you know i want i want them i want that money you know and he said this is going to be a headache because oh man rent court is hell man rent court is oh my god like 
you know, somebody can come in there with a chewed up piece of bubblegum wrapper and say, this is my receipt for my rent. And they don't believe them. You know, I've seen some crazy stuff in rent court, man. And then it's even to the point where if you don't pay your water bill in Baltimore City, I'll take your house. And so people living in the house, they don't want to pay the water bill. And then the investor has a $900 bill he has to pay for, mm. you know, nine months worth of, you know, water being used. Yeah. And it becomes, you know, it's, it's a real struggle for a lot because these investors, because like a lot of these guys aren't rich. You know what I mean? They're, they're like working people trying to, you know, make a buck now. What about the tenants, though? I mean, the tenants, um, this is like, uh, all right, just how I look at it. Baltimore has great, still has great price rent, but people have to understand how to make a community. You can't want to move into a great community. You have to be willing to make a community. You know what I'm saying? You just don't come into a community and, oh, it's, it's great because it's great. It's great because the people there work to make it. They, they do stuff to establish it and to maintain it the way they do. And so if you took the same effort that you want to run over to this community or that community to do in your own, then maybe you'll have a great community too because I see the same houses that are nice and beautiful and painted and all this on, on the exact other side of town or maybe a few blocks down. It's all busted up and jacked up because how do people feel about themselves and that is a reflection of the community. But other underlying economic factors. I believe that. Too, that. I, I understand that. But at the end of the day, I feel that no matter who you are, if you had a little shack of a house, if you really are a... a, a, a What's the best word? I mean, I'm just going down to, it's not about money. This is about being a good neighbor, being a, 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 a part, a builder of a community. You're going to have the nice, you're going to have a nice shack. You know what I'm saying? Your shack is going to be, maybe you got a little rug in front of yours. I don't know. But you got to make the best of what you have. And see, and the reason I say this is because I see people that come from nothing that want everything. You know, and it doesn't work like that. You have to earn. You have to move into that. And not, I'm not saying anybody doesn't deserve anything, but... It takes it takes a bit of it, it just it's just not given to you, you know. And and those same people who want to move into this great neighborhood, they turn the neighborhood bad now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think your job would be different at all if you weren't in Baltimore? Um, I mean, if it was the inner city, if it was L.A., if it was Detroit, if it was any inner city where you got. You know, people that need housing, it'll be, I think, pretty much the same. It's just like D.C., the only issues there is that everybody's priced out. You know what I mean? Like the subsidy can't compete with the market rate whatsoever. So it's like we, they don't even consider it. So, um, but as long as it's a place like like Oakland or something, like where things are like kind of in the the, the, the the changing point. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's. That's what people need, you know, what investors need. And, and if people were smart, and this is the thing, and I'm not saying, like, we talk about these economic things, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I come from nowhere, nothing, you know what I'm saying? And so, I, but I know that you have to invest in your future. And so sometimes you got to get a house in a neighborhood that's not so great, but it's going to be great, you understand? Because you, you have a vision, you can see it the same way, you know, I show a person a house that may not be ready, the cabinets are not in, or or, you know, the fixture's not all up, but you can look at the house and use your imagination to understand that this is gonna be a great house at the end. And they say, oh no, it's not finished, I don't want it. Somebody else takes it, well, it's gorgeous, and then they're like, oh man, I wish I would've got that house, hmm. you know? Because everybody wants everything perfect, but you gotta, you know, be patient. You gotta, you know, 
earn it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Our email address is workingatslate.com, and we do read and try to reply to all the emails that we get there. You can also listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. Thanks to Laura Wexler of the live storytelling Baltimore podcast, The Stoop, who put us in touch with Damon. You can hear uh, more from Damon in an episode of The Stoop storytelling podcast called The Moment That Changed Everything. Working is produced and edited by Mickey Capper. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.